1: Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
0: Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewshow.com supports.
2: This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, November 5th, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
0: And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane.
3: And I'm Roger Chang from somewhere on the fringes of the L.A. County area.
2: He's our producer. Joining us today, David Spark from Spark Media Solutions and co-host of the CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast and Series. Welcome back to the show, David. Good to have you, man.
3: It is great to be back. Great back. Pretty much, it's a kind of also the ZDTV Tech TV reunion. Yeah, sure, right. Well.
2: That's true. We all were uh, Tech TV employees uh, at one time, so it's 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 fun. It was fun. A little fun reminiscing going on in in the the pre show. If you're a, a patron, you can check that out. Uh, we're going to talk with David a little bit about some of the cool stories he's got going on in the Chief Information Security Officer space. Things like using open source to market instead of spending on ads. But let's start with a few tech things you should know.
0: Verizon is reorging into three divisions, consumer, media, and business. Now, network IT and corporate functions will be centralized to serve all three new divisions. The consumer group will include consumer wireless, wired, and wholesale service. The business group will handle business wireless and wired, as well as things like enterprise, Internet of Things, telematics, and edge computing. And the media group will include content outlets like Yahoo, TechCrunch, and the Huffington Post, as well as the advertising operations. The Oath name for this division will be phased out.
3: Oh, we hardly knew ye. Uh, Mm. Noble. By by the way, when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, Oath. It was like one or more of those. Yeah, I completely forgot they did that. (laughs) Now there's no point in me remembering that. Bards and Noble (laughs) released a
2: Nook-branded 10.1-inch Android tablet. It has 32 gigabytes of onboard storage and a 1920 by 2000 display with 224 pixels per inch. Goes on sale November 14th for 130 bucks. And people are asking reports, about cheap 10-inch tablets. There you go.
0: Nikkei reports its sources say Apple told its manufacturing partners not to increase iPhone 10R production lines from 45 to 60. Now you might say, what do those numbers mean? Well, the increase would have added 100,000 iPhone 10R units per day. The same sources say that Apple increased orders for iPhone 8 and 8 Plus units by five million. Hmm.
2: And Intel announced its 14 nanometer Xeon Cascade Lake server processors. Current Xeon processors have about 28 cores on a single die. Not about, just exactly 28 cores. The Cascade Lake series will have 48 cores. On multiple dies in a single socket, similar to AMD's Epic line, two of these Cascade Lake chips could be installed on a motherboard to give you 96 cores total and can accept up to 24 DDR4 RAM modules. That means you can get up to three terabytes of RAM or use Intel's Optane chips and you could have... 12 terabytes of system memory. Intel claims Cascade Lake performs 20% better than previous Xeons and 3.4% better than AMD's Epic for certain tasks. However, AMD is expected to announce new 7-nanometer Epic chips on Tuesday. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the reviews coming in for the iPad Pro.
0: The new iPad Pro from Apple. The reviews have been published because embargoes have been lifted. Monday, it was a plethora of them. And results somewhat mixed, overall positive, so we'll highlight a few of the main points. The new design and slimmer bezels got pretty high marks across the board, as did the Liquid liquid Retina LCD display, which many publications said was, you know, the best iPad display ever. The Apple Pencil 2 one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Stripe, Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude three model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude three Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market. Perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude today.
0: Mostly applauded, whereas the Washington Post said, quote, $130 Apple Pencil Stylus, available since the original. Also joined in the makeover, an artist friend who drew me a quick illustration on the new Pro with an app called Procreate, raved about its increased responsiveness. Of the reviews, there were some gripes about Face ID when holding the device, but Tech Radar said, quote, the good news is that the iPad Pro 11 does indeed possess a half-decent camera on the back with a 12-megapixel sensor capable of taking more than acceptable low-light photos with rich enough detail. When zoomed in, the larger display does make a good viewfinder, and if you're doing something scientific or technical, you'll have some good quality visual data to work with. That was something that... Uh, you know, besides this sort of haha, someone's taking a photo with their iPad at a concert type thing, that the cameras were not totally up to snuff with smartphone cameras. So it sounds like if you're going to be using an iPad Pro for this reason, then that's, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have a camera that that is actually um, in the mix with the best of the best.
2: The big question everybody wants to know is if this really is good as a laptop replacement. And and most of these reviews said that the processor was snappy. Uh, you could switch back and forth between apps really well. But the big downside is you're still in iOS. you still got a mobile browser. Sometimes when you click on links, it opens an app, which is an ideal in a PC situation. And a lot of reviewers mentioned that they still needed to go to an actual PC to do certain things, especially in a work environment. I mean, David, what do you make of all these different iPad Pro reviews? Or, or what do you think of the iPad Pro?
3: Well, <laughs> My first response was the the, the comment about the the stylus, but I'm also interested in talking about the, the the sort of computer replacement. One is that you know this hundred and thirty dollar stylus, as I understand the new one does not work with version one and the version one stylus does not work with the, the current one. And just this pattern of oh, by the way, that thing you bought very recently, it's now obsolete. It, it, what I I get a sense is it's like dominatrix and submissive quality between Apple and its customers, as in <laughs> you're going to buy this $130 stylus and you're going to love it, whether you like it or not kind of thing. And they're going to, you know, they're going to be irritated by it, but they're going to say, thank you. We love it regardless, you know, because of sort of the relationship that's been built with Apple. So that was my kind of first take of that.
0: But that's not unlike a new iPad just having a really cool feature that older iPads don't support. It just no, happens to well, be no, something that's physical. separate from the the unit itself.
3: It's a physical device, a digital device. So it's just my attitude is whatever the cost of this thing is, just add 130 bucks. You know that it shouldn't be a cost without that price because you can't really use this thing without the stylus. So there's really no. What? no, no, you could totally use a tablet without a stylus. I all, I don't use Oh a no, stylus no, I, no, but for this tablets. one in particular, why someone would be getting this one. You get the keyboard, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is about the the issue of desktop replacement. I think the problem is we keep having this this topic or notebook replacement, any way you want to put it, is we keep having this discussion. I mean, this is not the first time we've had the discussion is, does this thing replace the desktop? It's because they want we want this device to act like the desktop rather than us changing our work behavior mm. for this smaller device or this more limited device or this device that behaves differently like opening up apps. And, you know, I'm always surprised. I, I, you must know Harry McCracken. Mm-hmm. Yes, you probably had Harry I'm on sure, the show before. He, he actually stopped using a notebook computer a while ago and does almost all of his work on an iPad, which I was kind of stunned by, but he prefers to work like that. So my feeling is a lot of the, quote, desktop replacement discussion really should be about, do you want to change rather than does the device have to change for you?
2: I don't know, man. A Windows 10 or a Chrome OS tablet can can take a mouse and I can do a lot of the stuff and not have to change. So why can't the iPad do that too?
0: David should be on our follow-up to, are we in a post-PC era discussion?
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <On the literature.
0: laughs> uh, Chrome
2: 71 is going to block all ads on sites that consistently show abusive ads. By abusive ads, it's things like fake system messages, automatically redirecting you to another page, trying to take your personal info, like you know, pretty serious stuff. If an abusive ad is reported, a site will be given 30 days to clean it up before all the ads are blocked. Users of Chrome can also turn the filtering off if they wish. Uh, The only downside here, I guess, is, you know, it's Google deciding which sites don't get to show ads in Chrome, and they've got a pretty dominant position with Chrome right now. That doesn't sound like
3: anybody has a problem with that.
0: Uh, No, Uh, (laughs) I would like these ads blocked, and I use Chrome, so good on you.
3: Yeah, and honestly, (laughs) don't you remember the number, I mean, it doesn't have nearly to the level it happens. You know, it used to happen a lot earlier, but the amount of uh, viruses that would used to come through ads was horrific. Yeah, and that was truly awful before, and it's not nearly to the level that uh, that it used to be. Well,
2: and as and as much as you can criticize Google for having a, a stranglehold on the advertising market in many ways, I don't think this is one of them. I don't think this is your best argument. Uh, against Google because they don't tend to abuse this privilege. They do tend to only really shut down sites that that need it. But we'll see. Maybe this will be the exception, and we'll get a lot of fake, false, false positives, and and people complaining.
0: Let's talk about robots. LG Robotics is developing a smart shopping cart that can follow customers through Korea's largest supermarket chain, which is called eMart. The cart will include a barcode scanner and display to show your shopping list, as well as leading you to items that you might be looking for. eMart launched a store without cashiers in the Gangnam district of Seoul back in August. No date on when the smart shopping carts might arrive in stores, but it's an interesting idea, isn't it?
3: Uh, I I like the comment in the in the story. They said that it's it's for people who are too lazy. <laughs> well,
0: too lazy? No, no, but, no, no. no, no. Some,
3: not all. No, some too lazy. But they they also mentioned the elderly too, of of, of course, which totally made sense. Well, that's
2: well, a, big, got a kid in their, Just taking
0: something. Yeah, you know, the there are lots of reasons that a cart might be. You know, it'd be nice to have both hands free. You're just right?
2: taking something the engadget author came up with. That's that's not endemic to this, right?
3: I mean, as far as being generic but I, 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 that amused me. Regardless, that laziness would be a sale, sale point. You know, you can be lazy and go shopping. Although shopping is an active uh, thing. Uh, Yeah, I mean, once you have multiple children and you're trying to manage them, yes, I I think after you know one or two kids is is manageable shopping. If you're you're a parent with three plus children and you have to shop, that that becomes pretty tough.
0: Well, and or or, and I've not been in an EMart myself, but what if a lot of the shopping experience it has to do with looking at a smartphone to figure out what's going to go on your list, right? So. The shopping cart that follows you and doesn't get lost frees you up to do a little bit more of that if that's actually going to end up into cost savings for you in the long run.
2: I also didn't get a chance to go in an e-mart when I've been in Seoul, and I don't know how big their aisles are, but I know that most of the stores that I was in in Korea had normal or small aisles. And so having shopped with a good old-fashioned manual cart the dance you have to do to get past people in aisles seems like it would be much more complicated. You're going to need a lot more machine learning for these e-carts to really (laughs) understand like when to go past the lady that's shopping the chocolate chips. yeah. Self-driving shopping
0: carts. Yeah. The ethics of it all.
2: Yeah. When does it really follow you? When does it hit somebody? I don't know. This this is more complicated than it
3: looks. Can I throw up because you mentioned something, Sarah, I want to throw out a product recommendation. I don't know if you know of this app, an app called Our Groceries. Do you know this uh, app? No, yeah, I, I use don't. that app. Yeah. You're familiar? Do you use it with your wife? Yes? Uh, well, <laughs> or, Let's hope but, so. I'm not sure what you mean by that. <laughs> no. You,
0: well, you, group- share, you share You You share. share an account. You share um, a shopping yeah. list. So yes. The idea
3: is you share a shopping list. Right. And the idea is it's great because what it'll do is if myself or my wife are going out shopping, one of them will say, I'm going shopping, add whatever you want to the list. And you add it to our groceries and it automatically pops up. Yeah. And you can just press a button as you're collecting everything at the market. But what's great is you don't have to manually enter everything because we right. usually end up buying the same things over and over again. So you can just yeah. see on your list, you know, milk, eggs, boom, 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 boom. boom. You add it to your list, and then you can take it off. The reason I hesitated, we use it, time. We use it hooked up with the Amazon
2: Echo, right? So you can just tell Amazon to yeah, put it on your list. Paper.
3: It's great. I
2: tell Eileen, just if you have anything to put on the list, just tell the Echo. You don't even have to tell me. You don't even have to open the app. She still doesn't do it. She still I, just tells
3: me. Well, I have. I personally don't have any of those listening devices in my home because I don't like to voluntarily bug my own house. Mm. So I, I've, I've yeah. steered far away from those You're companies.
2: unfamiliar with the with the uh, the, the vetted uh, recording of of the Amazon Echo. I I get it.
3: <laughs>
2: As BlizzCon this weekend, Blizzard announced a mobile version of Diablo called Diablo Immortal. Blizzard promises a constantly evolving world and the chance to meet and socialize with other players taking part in events alongside a classic Diablo-style gameplay set somewhere between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. If you have no other context, that that probably sounds to you like a perfectly normal game announcement and you wonder why it's here in the show. Well, the trailer has generated hundreds of thousands of dislikes, accusations that Blizzard was resetting comments and like counts, accusations that Blizzard is out of touch with its own gamers. Uh, There were some uh, boos at BlizzCon. An ex-Blizzard employee and Diablo 2 developer Mark Kern blamed the backlash on how Blizzard teased and revealed the game- not on the game itself. Kern said the game's fine, but he said Blizzard used to understand that its its base was PC gamers, and they led people to believe that they were going to get Diablo 4 for the PC, and when they announced a mobile game that isn't even coming to the PC, people got upset, really upset.
0: Well, and, and were they right to do that? Because it wasn't as if Blizzard was like, here's Diablo 4, the worst PC game ever. It was something completely different. Right. I mean, but- we're talking about you know, it's like it's like a two different OS type of situation. So, you know, are, are, is the Blizzard community right in their fury here?
3: Well, this is the other. This is also it sounds like a corporate decision of we want to force the community onto mobile because we want to build probably more on the mobile. And there's going to be a point of pain. This definitely sounds like that point of pain. And uh, people don't like change. I mean, that's that's something we've seen repeated many times in history. So people also have short memories. So my feeling is this community that booted that are still Diablo fans will still play this game. The question is, will they evolve from a PC to a tablet uh, slash mobile device uh, player? Uh, We'll have to wait and see.
2: Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I I think it's, it's specifically that Blizzard said, we're going to have news about Diablo. Then a couple of days before the show, they tried to play it down and say, it's not going to be the news. You guys really are, excited about don't you know it's gonna be some news but they they didn't want to undercut their own announcement so that it was a little bit hard to tell what they meant and then a bunch of people who wanted like a tease to diablo 4 right for the pc got a mobile game and i i don't even know if it's about expecting people to move platforms as much as it is they made something for fans of one platform but all the fans of the other platform were the ones in the audience
0: not in a post pc era say diablo fans
2: uh, I think Scott Johnson has summarized this with a, 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 a comic that he posted on Twitter. Uh, Diablo purists uh, and the Venn diagram of mobile gamers intersect in a
3: very small area, basically. Uh, and and, and well, but it'd be, that's here's what, what we're be seeing here. You know, mark this point in time. We're, we're in um, November 5th. The question is, will Blizzard be successful in making that shift away from PC gaming onto mobile, which appears what they're trying to do here.
2: They've been extremely successful with Hearthstone on on mobile. Uh, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they're successful with Diablo Immortal, if if the silent majority of mobile people uh, make this a success.
0: Well, we haven't talked about Amazon in this show yet, so now's the time. (laughs) Sources tell the Wall Street Journal that Amazon is focusing on Crystal City, Virginia, or Dallas, or New York as locations for its second headquarters, HQ2, as it's being called. Although, none of the 20 other cities that were under consideration have actually been totally ruled out as of yet. The Wall Street Journal reported later Monday that Amazon plans to split its second HQ between two cities, which would mean a second and third headquarters, 25,000 Employees would work at each location, so this is a big deal. This Very is a big solomonic. deal, you know. For for those of us whose cities are not in consideration, you're like, I don't know, I just pick a city. But um, <laughs> for you know, workforces in 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 the area, it, it is a big deal for not just um, adding a lot of jobs, but what would go into any neighborhood that surrounds this.
3: Well, I thought it was also interesting with the discussion of the real estate developers either developing or holding off sales, you know, um, in the hopes that. If Amazon comes in, then it's going to be you know a, a giant windfall for them you know that's a very, very risky gamble, but maybe they've got some inside dirt that we don't have.
2: I want to give credit to Rich Strafellino, who in our uh, producers Slack for the show uh, said that with Amazon splitting the headquarters, whichever city says no no no, uh, we won't want it split. You go ahead and take the headquarters'll we'll obviously be the true headquarters <laughs> Because this Solomonic split the baby. We'll explain right. later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Uh let's talk about some of the stories that, that David's been telling at CISOSeries.com. That's C-I-S-O-Series.com. Uh starting with a company that has decided instead of spending money on traditional marketing, to do their marketing by contributing, like legitimately contributing code to open source projects.
3: Yeah, so this was the story of a guy by the name of Jeff Williams who had two security companies, both in the application security space, one called Aspect Security, and that got sold to uh, EY, and then um, his new company, Contrast Security, which is more a product-based application security company. And when he was with Aspect, that's when the um, application security market was just starting to grow. And at, at that time, the consortium OWASP, which was the open web application security uh, project had started and he, his organization um, started, you know, the first thing that they did was they uh, provided the application WebGoat, which is this application that's designed to be essentially abused as you're testing um, the security of an application. Like a skip. And then, yeah. And then um, they also created something called the OWASP 10, which is the sort of top 10 security uh, protocols that you should have in place. Uh, when you're um, setting up an application, which is uh, similar to um, the the SANS uh, Top 20. They they got the idea from that. Um, but again, both of these were things that they did for the open source community. And through that work, and by the way, did a lot of other things that were not successful in the open source c- community. But those two in, in particular really got them an enormous amount of attention in the community. Um, so when he went to his new company, he kind of, put that thing aside or that, that sort of that behavior aside I and mean, started to do traditional marketing, but realize how incredibly difficult that is to do in an, in a incredibly crowded space. And so he decided to go back and they did do some open source stuff. But then one of the things that they did is they actually released a, a completely free version of their security product, but just for one application um, to the community. And as a result, they are able because people are using the free version, they're able to, you know, uh, bubble them up to their enterprise version, you know, kind of the freemium model. Um, but the the free version is not limited. It's just, uh, it's you know, it's limited in that it only works on one application, but it doesn't limit, you know, by by time features or anything, separate. or have certain yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. features crippled. Um, that has allowed him to sell faster. Where in a in an industry where the sales cycle is so long. And uh, more importantly, just get kudos from the uh, community as a result. And that's been—that is one thing that the people in the security industry have a lot of trouble with: is trying to get build trust because that becomes critical in security sales.
2: Well, and and there's so many, there's so much good, good. <laughs> research about the, you know, the the security of an open source platform, because you got more eyes on it. Uh, would, d- does he talk about getting any benefits from that as well? Just just having more
3: users making it a little more bulletproof? Well, when, like one of the things he said, he, he didn't talk necessarily about that. But one of the things that he talked about is that the fact that people who used his products, uh, or like the, the web goat said that web goat was the reason I got into application security, So that, you know, Mm. the fact that there's sort of this um, sort of this warmth towards him and his company as a result of that. And then um, the other the other issue is just, you know, the fact that they were, you know, their name just got around a lot more. They didn't try to distribute it under their own brand name. They made it a product for the community with their name is just kind of a footnote Mm -hmm. into the development. But um, that's. That's in that respect. But it's interesting. I just recorded my most recent episode of the podcast and the guest there, a guy by the name of Richard Sirison, who is a former CISO of Lending Club, he made a comment about uh, open source. He goes, if you are going to contribute to open source, and I felt, that, felt this was a very critical comment, is you must commit to open source because if you put something out there in open source and either remove it from open source or fail to continue to support it, the community is going to start hating you.
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It, it, there's an authenticity to, to open source that is that yeah. is required, and and you, you really you really need to be doing it for the right reasons. Uh, a positive marketing boost may be a side benefit, and it may be one of the reasons you decide to do it, but it can't be the only one, right?
3: No, it, but it. You know, one of the things Jeff said because we just want to make it clear to the community that we're passionate about this space. Yeah, yeah. And he felt that he would get a good marketing boost. He just noticed that the effort that he was spending traditional marketing was having less and less effect.
2: Yeah, there's some really interesting stories that you're telling uh, on CISO Series. And, and and I know now everybody's into the security, uh, the vendor space, uh, but it might translate across different sectors here. But one is uh, a, an article you did and, a, and an interview you did with Alan Alford of Mitel about deciding to try to bridge the gap between vendors and the people who buy their products who just don't want to hear from them by what did he do he like set aside some like, office hours? It sounded like he
3: set up he set up office hours. Yeah. So his plan was, and by the way, I, I can't I can't underestimate or I can't overestimate, I'm sorry, how what a big deal this announcement was. He said, I'm gonna set aside two hours every week to talk with vendors. The fact that a CISO, and he's the CISO of my town, the fact that a CISO was proactively saying i want to talk to vendors when pretty much the rest of them just say get away from me was such a huge deal it was totally explosive in the marketplace i mean it really was a big big deal it turns out that he spent even more time because he actually had a um a budget planning uh uh was coming up mm-hmm. and so he actually ended up spending ten hours a week for a period of four weeks oh, wow. but what he said, and this is the part that I thought was very, very powerful. Most CISOs, when they're looking for a new product, will go and talk to other CISOs. The problem is you get yourself into a bubble. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just using the, kind of the same products and it goes, oh, yeah, I like that. I like this person, whatever. But at some point, someone new has to break in because there's constantly new solutions coming up. And it either requires a CISO to go out or someone successfully penetrate someone to go out do that education and then come in and tell all the other CISOs well the chances of your timing of finding all that information is very difficult if you're not the CISO who does that so you got to be the CISO who does that and that's what Alan wanted to do and he felt this was critical yes he could have chosen not to do it talk to his CISO buddies and built a plan based on what is already out there what is kind of already known but he wanted to build even a greater plan. And he wanted a sort of a greater education. That's why he forced himself to let vendors educate him, and he felt, you know, he's better for it, and his company's better for it as well. He wanted, he was the change he wanted
0: to
2: see in CISOs. That's that's great. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on other stories and make it into either here or Daily Tech headlines. Do it at dailytechnewshow.reddit.com Very active community there. Also active community on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Tech News Show. All right, let's kick it off with amateur traveler Chris Christensen, who has a follow up to using credit cards for travel.
3: This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. First, a heads up, I suggested using a one-time-use credit card for buying airline tickets, and some of the smart listeners of your show have told me they have run into issues or known people who run into issues where some airlines, and I've never run into this, ask to see the credit card you book something with, or at least ask for the credit card number which seems like it's going to get you into all sorts of troubles when you're buying something for your adult children, as I've been known to do. But apparently it happens in some places, so good to know. Yeah. This is Chris Christensen
2: from Amateur Traveler. Ah, good follow-up. Thank you, Chris. Let's check out the mailbag. What are we? What kind of emails we get in here, Sarah?
0: Oh, thanks for asking, Tom. Mike, AKA Gadget Chaser, weighed in on our story last week about tablet sales slowing and why that might be. Mike says, It's my opinion that the reason sales are declining all this time is that the manufacturers don't take the category seriously, they don't produce compelling devices which leads to declined sales, proving that they don't need to put any more effort into the category. It's a self-licking ice cream cone. (laughs) That's a good one, Mike. I hadn't heard that one before. Mike goes on to say, for me, I can't find a device that suits my needs. My current tablet is an NVIDIA Shield second gen. It's getting a little long in the tooth, and although I appreciate NVIDIA continuing to keep up with the latest version of Android... It, the on shield devices the two plus years old hardware can't keep up with it i love to get a new tablet can't find a decent device to buy it's impossible to find a quality vanilla android or a seven or eight inch tablet why can i get one with at least four gigs of ram and running vanilla oreo or gasp pie even very frustrating i suppose we'll have to make a compromise at some point but i won't be happy about it have i mentioned it's frustrating
2: <laughs> yes, he has. Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, we had that Nook announcement, but that's a 10 inch. As we talked yeah. about, tablets really moving towards being PC replacements means this other niche market of people who wanted seven or eight inch tablets uh, is kind of drying up. And and it's one of those things where well, your market isn't, there's not enough people like you that is causing people to want to make this. But if you've got recommendations for seven or eight inch tablets, send it to us. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com.
0: Thanks for all your feedback, and thanks to also David Spark for being on the show with us today. David, so nice to see you. It's been a while since you and I were on a show together anyway. Tell folks where they can keep up with everything that you're up to.
3: Uh, well, I would number one, I would just go, if, especially if you're in the security space, go to please go to CISOseries.com, subscribe to the podcast, and subscribe to the newsletter as well. You see it's up there in the upper right-hand corner. And um, uh, my regular business is SparkMediaSolutions.com if you're – Big tech company interested in learning more about that. And then um, uh, also, I would just say if you're in Southern California, I'm doing a great, fun workshop called Business Networking Pickup Lines. I'll be in San Diego on Wednesday and Thursday, I will be in Los Angeles. And this event is free. It's all for people who want to learn about using humor in sales. And my workshop will teach you the art of business flirting. So, not flirting for personal reasons, but flirting for business reasons. The, the, well, no, here's the analogy, the analogy specifically is when we talk about flirting in a romantic sense, it is about, and one definition I heard that I like is about making someone else feel physically attractive. That is sort of romantic flirting. Well, what if you were to take that into a business concept? How do I make you feel professionally attractive. Hmm, very interesting. And so that's exactly what we teach.
2: Check that out as well. Thanks to all our patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash DTNS. I've, I've been mentioning that we've got some bonuses now. Once a week, I do an editor's desk audio monologue, uh, 15 minutes or so, about how I go about choosing the stories we talk about on the show. Uh, That's at the $5 level. And we got this email from Chris who said, I finally increased my contribution starting in December from $2 to $5. A few weeks back, I was in the Starbucks drive-thru. And while I don't buy Starbucks more than a few times a week, I was thinking how I'd be willing to buy you a cup of coffee just to have a chance to talk tech. So now each month, one of you can buy an extra cup of coffee. All Might. right. Yeah. Be like <laughs> Chris, folks. Buy us a cup of coffee. <laughs> Patreon.com slash DTNS.
0: Oh, thanks, Chris. And thanks to everybody who gives us feedback. You make our show better every day. Keep it up. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. And after the time change, at least in parts of the world, 2130 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live.
2: Back tomorrow with Patrick Beja. Talk to you then.
1: is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.
3: Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.
1: <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?